Howdy and welcome to the 10-Week Bible Study. I'm your host, Darren Hibbs, and I can't wait to jump into Revelation 4, 1-8 through today. Welcome back to the 10-Week Bible Study. This is week three, day one of our study of Revelation. Would you join me as we pray before we start today? Lord, would you open our eyes and our ears to hear what your word has to say to us? Fill us with the knowledge of you today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. With that, let's jump into God's Word. We're reading today from the NIV. This is Revelation 4, starting in verse 1. After this I looked, and there before me was a door standing open in heaven. And the voice I had heard, I had first heard speaking to me like a trumpet said, Come up here, and I will show you what must take place after this. All right, context. Going back to chapter 1, the one that he says is speaking to him like a trumpet, like the sound of many waters, this is Jesus. He's already clearly defined this as Jesus. So he's speaking of this euphemistically here again, instead of just saying it was Jesus speaking to him, but we know, we understand from the context here that this is most definitely Jesus. All right, continuing on, verse 2. At once I was in the Spirit. And there before me was a throne in heaven with someone sitting on it. And the one who sat there had the appearance of jasper and ruby. A rainbow that shone like an emerald encircled the throne. Surrounding the throne were 24 other thrones, and seated on them were 24 elders. I want to pause right here and just say, you know, we've got a lot of gemstones and colors. And, uh, you know, there's there's a lot that can be said about you know, the, indiv- the the meanings of individual stones and the meanings of the colors and things like that. Look in the Old Testament, there were, uh, the, the priests had to wear a garment and, and on that garment, they had a, a, a grid of these different precious stones and things like that. And, and there are meanings in these things. There really are meanings. And I, uh, one of the things that, that I don't like to do is I don't like to ascribe meaning, especially in scripture, to things that don't have any meaning or, or, uh, use conjecture to say, well, there's meaning in this. And, and, and sometimes there's, there's just not right. Um, and I don't want to take away from things that have meaning when they do have meaning. I don't want to say that these, these stones and and the colors and, and things like that, they don't have meaning. Um, it's, it's one of those things that gets into a lot of speculation, trying to assess what the meanings of the different stones are and things like that, there's really no, in in my opinion, there's really no good source to discern what exactly the meanings are behind each one of these stones and their colors and things like that. What I'm saying is they have meaning, like the Lord has chosen these stones and, and these colors for a specific purpose. But discerning what those are necessarily, that's a lot more of a challenge trying to figure out, well, Lord, what did you mean by this? And what does this represent? And those kinds of things. There's there's things in here that do represent things. Like we're going to see giant pearls in the eternal city, Jerusalem. And, you know, the, the gates there, they, they have representation of things. And that's very clearly explained. Here, it's not very clearly explained. I don't want to take away from any meaning that the Lord has for these things, but also I don't want to go into wild speculation as to what they mean. And this is one of those places in Revelation where you can find people ascribing great meaning to something that does not have great meaning. And what I mean by that is 
there's an overarching narrative to the book of Revelation, and that is the most important thing we should walk away from when we study this book. Getting uh, lost into the little nitpicky details, although some of the details are very important, but getting lost in those, that's not the main thing we should take from Revelation. And and I've, I've seen uh, people and ministries and things like that, they get lost in these details and they make so much about the details because, you know, having some hot take or some new take on what these kinds of things mean, that can actually make them lots of money. That can get them lots of notoriety because I'm the first person that said this kind of thing. We don't want to, we don't want to navigate into those kinds of things. We want to understand what the Lord is trying to reveal to us in this book. We don't want to take away from the fact that there are meanings expressed in these things, but we also don't want to get so lost in those kinds of nitpicky details that we miss the forest for the trees. And so when when we're looking at these kinds of things, and especially it, it, these are some of the things that really get people lost and they really get people discouraged about the book of Revelation is, well, this guy says, you know, these things all have meanings, but I can't figure out why they believe that and where that's coming from. And it's just too complicated. And I don't want to engage in it. That's the kind of stuff that I, I don't like when it comes to the book of Revelation is those things can be very off-putting. I want to, I want to be clear again, they do have meanings, but it's, it's by no means important enough to the overall narrative of the book of Revelation for us to get lost on those kinds of things. And so if you've ever had trouble with the book of Revelation because you've seen people and teachings where they get really detailed in these things and they they say, well, you know, the the ruby means this and this and this. And you're like, well, I don't, I don't know where you got that from. So obviously I can't be someone who could understand a book of Revelation. I want to say that's not how this works. That's not how this works. And I'm sorry you felt that. This is an approachable book. It's not an easy book, but it's an approachable book. And when we get lost in those kinds of things, it can send the wrong kinds of messages to people really trying to find the Lord in Scripture. And I don't want to do that. So I've said it several times now. I'm a broken record, but I want to, I'm going to recap. They have meaning. And those meanings are, are valuable to the Lord. They're not something we should get bogged down and lost in, and they're not things that we should get confused by and discouraged by and choose not to study and read these things because everything in here is very knowable. It's very understandable as long as we don't get bogged down in those kinds of things. All right, continuing on, uh, we'll start back in verse four. Surrounding the throne were 24 thrones and seated on them were 24 elders. They were dressed in white and had crowns of gold on their heads. Uh, so pausing right there, we're told that there's 24 elders. Now we don't know who these elders are. It doesn't give us the names. Now, this is again, one of those things where that's what we're told. There's 24 elders. Are they humans? Are they people? Are they some kind of heavenly being representing people or, or some kind of authority? It's not clear. It's not clear. Now, the 24, right, there's 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 several things. The Lord does interesting things with numbers, right? There's 24 hours in a day, um, and Jesus had 12 apostles, and he had 12 tribes of Israel. Now, the important thing about the 12 tribes of Israel, when we look back through how the 12 tribes are accounted for in the Old Testament, and we'll even see here in the book of Revelation, they're never quite the same. 
there's there's always some kind of creative accounting when it comes to the 12 tribes of Israel. What I mean is is we're going to see here that that um, Joseph and Manasseh are counted, even though Manasseh is considered one of the half-tribes of Israel. But when we go look in the Old Testament, sometimes it's Joseph and Levi. Sometimes Levi's not counted, and Joseph gets split into Ephraim and Manasseh. And so, but there's always 12. And so the number 12 is important to the Lord. And it was important enough in the Old Testament that it's it's almost like the sacred number, the number 12. And he chose 12 apostles in the New Testament. So there's something important to the Lord about this number 12. And 24 is just twice the number 12. So a lot of people have speculated this is the 12 tribes plus the 12 apostles. And as we read through the book of Revelation, we're going to see that there's actually a, a lot of credibility to that because when we look at the eternal city Jerusalem there's there's 12 gates and there's 12 foundations and those do specifically represent the 12 tribes and the 12 apostles and so when it comes to these 24 elders who their identity is exactly we don't really know um some people have speculated well this is the you know the 12 apostles and the 12 you know tribes of Israel or whatever um maybe it also seems a little weird if this is the 12 apostles because we're being like, we're reading the words of one of the 12 apostles. So was it this like, you know, weird back to the future kind of thing where John is looking at himself as one of the 12 or one of the 24 elders? I don't know. I don't know how all that works. Um, but, but these numbers, they are important to the Lord. And again, it's one of those things where numerology and scripture, um, there's a reality to it. There is a reality to numbers and the importance and the meanings that they have. It's also a place of wild speculation and and often insanity of of saying things as fact that that just aren't known. And so we want to treat these things in their in their in in their proper light and weight. And so the numbers are important. What we have here, or we have the elders. They're they're dressed in white and they have crowns of gold. Um, we're going to see later, it does seem to, to lend something to the fact that they are human, uh, because we're going to see later that that's something that human beings, people are going to get that not necessarily angels are going to receive from the father. All right. Verse five from the throne throne came flashes of lightning rumblings and peals of thunder in front of the throne. Seven lamps were blazing. These are the seven spirits of God. Also in front of the throne, there was what looked like a sea of glass as clear as crystal. All right. So God's throne is kind of scary, right? There's, there's thunder and lightning and, and, you know, it's, it's, we're being told it's kind of a terrifying thing, right? John is saying there's a door open. And so I went through it and then I see the throne room. And John's saying, I'm in the throne room where God is actually seated. And, and then he's seeing all these other thrones, but he's, he's describing this. It's beautiful, but it's scary, right? And, and that, is, uh, that is an apt description of being before the Lord, right? Think of Daniel. Think of all of these people in the Old Testament. They encounter an angel who stands before the presence of the Lord, Gabriel, Michael, and, and, and they come before one of these angels every single time. Uh, they fall on their face as a dead man, 
right? There's there's something terrifying. The the prophet Isaiah in, in chapter six, he says that he goes to this, this same place. And we're going to see later, we'll talk about it. Ezekiel goes to this same place. They have encounters here in every one of them. You know, Isaiah says, woe to me because I'm a, a man of unclean lips. I'm from a people of unclean lips, right? It's terrifying to come into this place and encounter God directly in this place. And that's what John is describing. This is, it's, it's beautiful, but it's scary. And, and that's who the Lord is, right? He's beautiful. He's forgiving, but he's also terrifying, right? There's, there's all of these aspects to him. And, and they're not competing with each other. They are one in the same, right? There's not different, uh, you know, it's not like Jesus is the, the kumbaya guy that we want to have a beer with and the Old Testament God, he's just like this wrathful, vengeful thing and they're not the same. They are one in the same. They're one in the same. We're going to see that here in the book of Revelation. This sea of glass, we're going to return to that. We're going to be told a little bit more about that later. So we're going to, we're going to wait on that and, and, and see what that means later on in the book of Revelation. All right, continuing on in verse 6. In the center around the throne were four living creatures, and they were covered with eyes in front and in back. The first living creature was like a lion. The second was like an ox. The third had a face like a man. The fourth was like a flying eagle. Each of the four living creatures had six wings and was covered with eyes all around, even under its wings. All right, pausing right there. Uh, let's just acknowledge that that's weird, right? This is this is one of those things where there is just absolutely nothing like this on earth. This is a completely other than experience. This is something that John probably barely has language to describe. They've got six wings. There's four living creatures. What on earth does living creatures mean, right? Uh, this is something that Ezekiel, he's seen these things and he's alluded to them as well. We can read his encounter with this. Um, these things that it's not like John is the first one to reveal what these are, but, but we probably get the, the, the clearest description of what they look like from John here in the book of Revelation. And from anyone's experience, this is really weird. This is really bizarre. And and for living creatures, I'm not saying that, uh, you know, as, as a slight. I'm just saying, like, from human perspective, this is really peculiar. And, and so all of this goes to say John is at, doing his best to describe what he's seeing. Um, these things, again, they're described in other places. They're obviously very real. This is not some kind of figurative explanation of something that John's trying to, to, to speak to us. He's not trying to make a point. He's seeing these things and, and, and they have a job and we're about to be told what they do, but this is all very real to John. He's not making this up to make a point like so many commentators would, 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 would speak to us. All right, continuing on here. Day and night, they never stop saying, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come. So that's the end of our passage for today, but this is a good place to end on. This is probably one of the most famous songs in all of scripture. And it's because it's this song that the four living creatures are singing and they're singing all the time, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, who was, right, who is and is to come. He's he's eternal, right? So they are they are continually worshiping God in his presence. And so 
the picture that we're we're getting painted for us here is that the throne room of God, it's beautiful. It's scary. There's these beings that are surrounding the throne and they are worshiping the Lord. And we're going to see here that they're, they're actually constantly being overwhelmed by the glory and the, the righteousness and the authority of God. What we're going to see here later, the, the elders, they're, they're falling on their faces and casting the crown, their crowns down before the Lord, the four-limited creatures. They're worshiping the Lord constantly, proclaiming his holiness. There's a lot going on. There's a lot going on, and and I have to imagine that John is a bit overwhelmed by everything that he's seeing as he's encountering this throne room experience. And again, this is not something that is unparalleled in Scripture. There's other places, other other um, encounters that biblical authors have had where they actually go before the throne room. Ezekiel, Isaiah, Paul alludes to it. Uh, and and, there, and there's some others. If you're if you're looking deeply enough, David uh, alludes to the fact that he went to this very place as well. And so this is not unique to John, but we are being given probably one of the best descriptions of this environment anywhere else in Scripture. With that, that's all we have for today. I'm your host, Darren Hibbs, for the 10-week Bible study. I can't wait to see you next time. Well, thanks for joining me today on our study. Would you like and subscribe to wherever you're watching this? It really helps more people find out about our broadcast. And my heart is for more people to fall in love with God and his word. 